Hi there. I'm so excited to welcome you to the Arthritis Life Podcast, where we share arthritis life stories and tips for thriving with autoimmune arthritis. My name is Cheryl Crow, and I am passionate about helping people navigate real life with arthritis beyond joint pain. I've been living with rheumatoid arthritis for 20 years, and I'm also a mom, occupational therapist, video creator, support group leader, and I created the Room to Thrive self-management program. I am so excited to help you live a more empowered life with arthritis. We're going to cover everything from kitchen life hacks to navigating the healthcare system to coping with friends who just don't get it. Seriously, no topic is going to be off limits on this podcast. My interviewees and I share our honest stories of how chronic illness affects our lives. This includes discussions about mental health, sex, shame, pregnancy, body image, advocacy, self-acceptance, and so much more. You'll hear stories from all ends of the spectrum, from a person who's living in Medicaid remission from psoriatic arthritis to somebody living with severe mobility restrictions and severe pain from rheumatoid arthritis. You'll hear how people manage their conditions in different ways, like medications, mindfulness, movement, social support, work accommodations, and so much more. You'll also hear from rheumatology experts who just get it. We'll dive deep into the science behind chronic pain and what's the latest evidence for lifestyle changes that can help you thrive with arthritis, including exercise, sleep, nutrition, stress reduction, and more. This is your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. Hi. My name is Cheryl Crow, and I am passionate about helping people navigate real life with arthritis. I've lived with rheumatoid arthritis for 17 years, and I'm also a mom, teacher, and occupational therapist. I'm so excited to share my tricks for managing the ups and downs of life with arthritis. Everything from kitchen life hacks to how to respond when people say you don't look sick, stress, work, sex, anxiety, fatigue, pregnancy, and parenting with chronic illness. No topic will be off limits here. I'll also talk to other patients and share their stories and advice. Think of this as your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. I'm so excited today to have arthritis Maggie, also known as Megan, also known as Meg here for the Arthritis Life podcast. Welcome. Hello. So glad to be here. Yes. So glad to have you. And now that I've known you on Instagram, it's great to actually be able to talk live. So I I um, feel like I already know you. Oh, totally. Totally. Like (laughs) longtime friends. Um, So can you just let the audience know a little bit about, you know, where you live and what your relationship to arthritis is? Yeah, so I um, born and raised Long Island, New York from uh, Manhasset, a little town, and I still live on Long Island, just a little further bit out east now uh, in West Hampton, spent some time living in New York City, which was a fun experience, and I was diagnosed with juvenile idiopathic arthritis at age two in 1995, way back when, and um, over the years, my arthritis changed a little bit. There were some... uh, hiccups in my treatment and um, I ended up being diagnosed with psoriatic arthritis in 2019. And most recently I've started uh, getting into the advocacy advocacy world and uh, writing for Bezzy PSA. Yeah, I love that. There's a, a Bezzy is from Healthline, right? Yeah. And they mm-hmm. have a, it's like an app that they have for, there's one Bezzy RA, which I do some writing for sometimes. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it, that's amazing. We can talk more about that later. But I do actually, you know, we always take some time to talk about people's diagnosis story slash diagnosis saga. So I know when you were two, I'm guessing it was a little more straightforward, but I, yeah. I remember reading on your page about what happened when you started feeling, um, some joint symptoms and other things again, and you, what was that like when you finally got that diagnosis of PSA? I know that there are some barriers. Yeah, it was crazy actually. And it's really what has inspired me to talk so much about my diagnosis process, because even with the history of JIA, literally on all of my records, I still was gaslit like beyond by doctors being told that's tendonitis. You should work out less, try physical therapy. It's isolated. It's just your knee. Oh, it's just your elbow. 
Um, it took eight years between when my symptoms started reoccurring when I was 19 until I got my PSA diagnosis. And um, it was a lot of, unfortunately, older male doctors who were looking solely at my blood work and nothing else. Wow. Um, yeah, quite unfortunate. Well, and yeah, the that's always surprising to me because I'm um, well, not the old white male part, because that's pretty well <laughs> documented. But especially if you have a history of JIA, like I, you know, I was always taught like, and I don't diagnose as an occupational therapist, you know, but I was taught that the diagnosis for an inflammatory arthritis or autoimmune arthritis, like PSA of psoriatic arthritis or rheumatoid or, um, you know, the spondyloarthropathies or ankylosing spondylitis, it's all, there's like four pillars, right? You have blood work and you have the patient's like physical presentation. So you have like, they feel your joints and feel like redness, warmth, swelling, tenderness, and then your subjective report. Like that's another pillar. That's not just right. like a random icing on the cake. That's like yeah. important. Very. <laughs> yeah. So, and then there's your personal and family medical history. So you yeah. had like three of the four pointing to PSA. And can you tell the audience, because I know a lot of people, um, you know, they might be in the very, some people listening might not even, you know, be in the pre-diagnosis stage where they feel like you were for those eight years, right. like something's wrong, but I don't know what it is. And no one, people are telling me it's not, um, it's not inflammatory arthritis, but maybe it's in the really early stages. Like what were your symptoms of PSA? Sure. So for me, it was the other tricky part was I was a freshman in college. So, so much of my life had just changed at that time. Um, so the fatigue that I was experiencing, some of the brain fog, you know, having like emotional reaction, that all was kind of getting mixed up in just being, you know, out of, out of, in a new place. Um, my dorm room was on the fourth floor. There was no elevator. So when my knees started hurting, I was like, oh, I bet I'm overdoing it. And when I went to the doctor and was told you're overdoing it, I said, okay, you must be right. Um, but now, uh, you know, years gone by and I think back to those appointments, I knew I should have known better. They should have not gaslit me. But also at the same time, I had a lifetime of rheumatology experience. I have been seeing a rheumatologist since I was two years old. I know the musculoskeletal you know, they go through and they have you move this joint this way and this joint that way. And I have like the muscle memory, literally, I go to the doctor and my body just starts doing those things that they do to you. And I would go to those appointments in those early, you know, uh, in my early 20s. And there was, it was just such a strange shift for me between peds and, um, you know, a, and adult rheumatology. It was almost like <laughs> there was such a, a disconnect I had been given such amazing medical care from two to 18 under my peds room who always took me seriously, always listened to my concerns. And then I stepped foot into an adult rheumatology office and I was like, looked at like, why are you here? What, wait, so, so did your symptoms, cause I know that ju for people who don't know, juvenile idiopathic arthritis is much more likely than the adult inflammatory arthritis <laughs> to go into remission. It doesn't, mm -hmm. doesn't go into remission for everyone, but if you have juvenile idiopathic arthritis, some kids, you know, quote unquote, uh, grow out of it. So were you, right. how That's were you? That's what I was told. Okay. And so they were telling me you grew out of our arthritis. This is an arthritis. Uh, wow. Stop working out so hard. Do some physical therapy. Wow. That's so, yeah. that's really sad because we know like health providers know what the risks are of uncontrolled in inflammatory arthritis. And so, yeah. yeah. And anyway, so by the time I got to, yeah, so it took, I mean, when I saw um, a rheumatologist right when I was 19, he told me, okay, go to PT. I listened. I saw mm -hmm. another one a couple of years later, just checking in again, something still didn't feel right. Again, was told probably just tendonitis. You're very healthy. You're in good physical shape, yada, yada. I appeared healthy, which is mm -hmm. part of the issue a lot of us deal with. Um, it wasn't until I was 24, I had such an intense full body flare. I was having like high fevers. I couldn't walk. All of my joints were so swollen on the left side of my body. I couldn't like feed myself. Um, so that's when I was diagnosed with inflammatory arthritis. <laughs> Finally, somebody was like, yeah, something's up here. Yeah, this and I was is not on, just an injury. I mean, like this is right. Yeah, this like, is systemic. Yeah. Yeah. It I took know. it took until it was absolutely catastrophic to be taken seriously, which is unfortunate. But at that point, they put me on just methotrexate, and um, I had a, a rheumatologist who was like fresh out of med school, and she was lovely. She really listened, but 
she didn't have the best experience, I don't think. She did not tell me how vital it was to take the folic acid along with the methotrexate. And oh. my side effects were awful. I I gave up within, I think, 10 weeks. I said, I can't take this. Yeah. Um, I don't have like a real diagnosis. This medicine makes me feel sick. So I went the holistic route <laughs> mm-hmm. thinking because because I at that point I started to internalize all of this. I was like, what am I doing wrong? Why am I feeling so sick? Um, I was just so overwhelmed. So I enrolled in like a holistic health program and I learned about inflammatory diets and autoimmune paleo. And I did a few of those things. I, I changed my diet and it worked, worked, helped better word for a few months. And then I had yet another massive flare up to another rheumatologist. This time I took the time to research um, a female experienced rheumatologist. That's who I wanted to say. I wanted to see somebody that had been doing this for a little while. And that was a woman that might, might listen to me. And I showed up to that appointment with pictures of my swollen joints, journals of all of my symptoms. I was like ready to fight. And she took one look at me and she and my, um, my medical history. She looked at my family history. First person to look at my family history. She goes, your maternal grandmother had psoriatic, psoriatic arthritis and psoriasis, and nobody has ever mentioned this to you as a possibility. She was like, wow. you have psoriatic arthritis, you have enthesitis, that's the pain that you're having in your elbow. That's what's going on here. And she was so she seemed so disappointed in her field, like for me, she yeah. was like, please don't show me your photos, you have nothing to prove to me. We're gonna get this sorted. And she got me on Humera within I think I started Humera the next day. She was like, let's get on this because at this point you've had eight years of your body, your disease getting smarter, learning how to, uh, you know, work around medications. It's going to be, it's going to be a a struggle to get this under control. You have to like prepare yourself. This is going to be tough because it had ravaged my body for like almost a decade. Um, And I'm still, this was, this was 2019. I'm still kind of working my way out of that, like, you know, never ending flare. Um, so that's why I'm so, so passionate about talking about psoriatic arthritis, yeah. because I think that it's a lot to do with a lack of awareness just overall. Um, yeah. Before yeah. I saw that doctor, I myself had no idea that you could have psoriatic arthritis without active psoriasis. Didn't think it was yeah. possible. But as long as you have that family history, it's absolutely a possibility. Yeah, no, that's that's really, really important. I just want to stay on this uh, topic of your diagnosis experience, because some, I'm curious emotionally what, what you felt like. I mean, I, I obviously it sounds like you really liked that. Um, the female rheumatologist who gave you yes, a diagnosis, that's great. how I felt too, but something that it took me, uh, it wasn't until my first flare up that I then started really, um, okay. I'm not, I don't want to make this all about my story, but long story short, like once I re- I had another flare up and kind of really understood, cause for me, I didn't understand really the, the disease that, yeah, in that much the detail. gravity of it. Yeah. The gravity of it. I got diagnosed. I got put on Enbrel. I felt amazing. Mm-hmm. I was like done. Just going to take Enbrel for the next 60 years. I'm good. <laughs> you know? And then when yeah. I had the flare up and realized that it goes up and down and you know, you have to change your medications over time. Mm-hmm. Then I started really processing what had happened to yeah. me before my diagnosis. And I felt it's, it's taken me a long time. I still, I harbor some feelings of, um, you know, for, I, I'm angry at the people who didn't listen to me. You know, I'm angry at the fact that I had a delay in diagnosis. And, you know, at first of all, at first I was, I was hard to give myself permission to feel anger. I was like, no, you should feel grateful because you at least got a diagnosis. You know, yeah. So like in your mind, like when you realized, or when, when she told you that like, like essentially it was like a slam dunk case of PSA. Um, I'm, I'm guessing you were relieved, but also probably like, what? Yeah. So in the office, it was literally like sigh of relief and then flood of tears only because I have family members with PSA. So I know what, I know what it looks like. You know, I had at that moment, it almost like, was like, okay, I'm so happy to have this confirmation that I'm not making this up, but also, oh crap, this isn't in my head. This is real. This is for real, for real. Um, But like you said, I immediately, I started on medication. So Humira worked so well, so quickly for about five months. And then it was like hard crash because I was taking it by itself. And what I've, what my doctor and I have learned now is that I do better keeping methotrexate in the mix just so that my body can't form those antibodies. And she said, it's very common in people who had delay in diagnosis Mm -hmm. because our diseases tend to get smarter 
while they're on while they're untreated because they can just kind of like roam about and and yeah grow and thrive totally yeah thank you for thriving yeah that my synovial lining um and yeah, no, I, I should, I always say I was on Emerald and I was also on methotrexate. I've been on methotrexate okay. for 19 years and yeah. And I, I had this it's so funny, so many similarities. I had the same experience with folic acid, like because folic acid isn't a prescription, I thought mm-hmm. it was kind of a nice to have not need to have. And then one week I was like, oh, I was like a week behind and refilling it. I'm like, no big deal. I'll just get it next week or something. And then I was like, why do I feel horrible? You know? And then yeah. I talked to my doctor. She's like, no, you actually, that's not just like a, Hey, take fish oil. Like that's like, right. you have to take folic acid. You have to yeah. take it. So anyway, yeah, that's for anyone the, listening. that should be like, it, it should literally come together in like one, yeah. in one package yeah, that's <laughs> so that we understand point. how important they are to go together. Yeah. If I had known that the first time around, I might have lasted a little bit longer on it, but yeah. Um, yeah, the, there was definitely a grieving process after the Humira failed because that's when I realized like this, is a lifelong management situation. I don't get to just, because, you know, I think unfortunately for us Americans too, we have these drug commercials that really fool us, you know? <laughs> they make it look like, okay, you take your medicine and then you're gonna be running through the fields with not a care in the world. And unfortunately that is not the reality, um, especially wasn't for me. It took six months on Cosentix after Humira failed for it to kick in. And I was on really high doses of prednisone while I was waiting for that to kick in because my doctor's trying to prevent further joint damage. Like I can't, I don't have full extension of this arm anymore Mm -hmm. because of like, I can't touch my shoulder. Oh, wow. That's from lack of treatment. That's not going to go away. Yeah. That's the repercussions of Of not treating. And and that's another reason why I get very passionate about, um, you know, people sit, being so black and white about holistic and not yeah you got to do a little bit of both in my opinion because I tried both black and white ways and doing just one or just the other is not enough no for most people it's not you know there are uh, you know it's estimated about five percent of people can sustain a three to five percent can sustain mm-hmm. long-term remission for rheumatoid arthritis right and it's you know, f- with without western medications and you know i think that's it's often posed as like these two equally valid options and and if you say okay i'm gonna take either like this natural method versus this you know oh scary pharmaceutical but you're not the, the, the evidence is so much stronger for the medications, not just in like each individual medication being shown to overall, like, again, on the population level, like individual results vary, obviously the people who are on Humira for 11 years and feel great. Like in your case, it only lasted five months, but, um, but sorry, I forgot what my, my, my brain was originally going with that. I think was basically saying like, you're not, it's not like this one has a 50, 50 chance. And this one has a 50, 50 chance. Right. It's like, your odds are not in your favor to go full in on the holistic route. And that is a risk, even though it sounds like not a risk because the medications have all these, um, you know, disclaimers they have to put on to protect patients, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's so anyway, but yeah. So I know for me, I guess I, I, I came to a point where I was like, okay, yes, those side effects are scary especially Humira, I think there's like a black box warning, something ridiculous. Like it, it can be intense, the yeah, idea yeah. of going on these medications, but I couldn't walk. <laughs> like, yeah. My knee was so inflamed that I, I couldn't move. You know, you have to, it comes down to like a pros and cons list, I guess, for some people. But in my case, I was literally looked dead in the eyes by my doctor and said, if you don't start this drug now, this is just going to get worse and worse. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's where it becomes a lot more clear, but I think Mm -hmm. you and I have both, and and by the way, for those listening, you should definitely check out, um, Maggie's, uh, arthritis underscore Maggie Instagram. Cause you do a lot of great, you know, reels and videos. And we've both done ones about like, you know, medication shaming and not Mm -hmm. feeling, you know, helping people not feel guilty for taking medications. It doesn't mean you failed, you know, it means that you're taking steps to protect your health, just like lifestyle factors are really important, obviously, as an occupational therapist. I think they should be like looked at the same way. I wish it would. I wish the culture would shift that way. Because whenever I was first talking with friends and family about all of this, and starting these medications after doing the holistic route, especially the shock and the, oh, are yeah. you sure? And 
you know, yeah. it's for me at this point in time, taking methotrexate and a biologic is just as healthy as hopping on a bike ride or yep. having, you know, a gluten free meal or whatever you might think is the best thing for inflammation. It's, it's so individual. And I really like um, the chronic pain nutritionist. Um, yes, Jennifer, I, Jennifer, yeah. she has such a great approach about that. I always yeah. recommend her to for new people ask me about arthritis and nutrition. I think she has the right approach because all of our bodies are so different. You really need to make Mm -hmm. it an individual journey about what, you know, to cut in, cut out, what medicines work, what don't, what supplements work and what don't all of that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so I want to make sure I give you some time to talk about, you mentioned earlier, you're really passionate about helping clear up misconceptions about PSA or psoriatic arthritis specifically. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that was one I didn't know until I don't know, a few years ago that you could have psoriatic arthritis without active psoriasis or even a history of psoriasis. It's a very small percentage of people, not very small, I think it's like 30 or under percent about, um, of PSA patients that have uh, psoriatic arthritis symptoms before psoriasis pops up. And for me, I always had very dry skin. I probably had mild psoriasis growing up, but not enough for it to be alarming enough to, you know, treat it. Um, definitely on like, you know, my elbows and on my scalp, when I was in college, I was always having chronic itchy ears and I never knew why. And then I figured out after I got my PSA diagnosis, I went to the derm and she was like, you have psoriasis in your ear canals. Not a lot, but like inside here, I get flakes. So it hides. Um, I thought that was really, I think that that's just like so interesting. I, I am very passionate. Yes. About people knowing that you don't have to have lots of plaques, lots of psoriasis covering your body for it to be PSA. It seems to be that that family history is key if you don't have the active psoriasis, but it can follow afterwards. I didn't have like really bad psoriasis on my scalp until after Humira failed. When Humira Mm. failed, it was almost like my immune system kicked it up a notch and they were like, okay. We're coming for you. Now we're going to tell you for sure. In case for sure. It's definitely. Doubts. It's yes. not rheumatoid. It's psoriatic. But I think yeah. most, mostly I just wish more people knew what, what psoriatic arthritis was in general. I mean, a lot of the times I get a blank stare. Um, societally, yeah. I think most people are aware of osteo, right? That's why we get those year two comments. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And then secondly, I think people are, are, are more aware of RA. They know mm-hmm. the deformities. They, they usually have had a you know, a family member or somebody in their lives that have experienced it to a degree. Um, But mostly, I think everybody needs to know that every single arthritis patient experiences this disease differently. Whether it's OA, RA, PSA, JIA, no two people are the same. So I think that's where I wish the whole, everybody would just don't compare. You know, like, I know that it's a very natural human instinct to try to draw connection in a conversation when somebody says, Oh, I have arthritis, you want to say, Oh, so and so I know did yes. this and that and the, you know, and it comes from a good place. Most of the time, I think, but I just I wish people would um, listen more, and educate more. Um, so that's, you know, I, I just wish there was more awareness of, of psoriatic arthritis. And, 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 you know, more than that, the fact that there are hundreds of types of arthritis, it's not just a little two or three here and there. Um, And then I think the biggest misconception, which we've definitely talked about a little bit, is that you don't have to have the skin involvement. You can develop the joint pain first. So being aware of that can definitely help. Um, And then, you know, if you, if you suspect that you might have, if you're in those early stages and you think, is this psoriatic arthritis, do some research and there might be a psoriatic arthritis center or a rheumatologist that subspecializes in psoriatic arthritis. Mm-hmm. Because in my experience, I've learned that even some rheumatologists don't know enough about PSA. Wow. Um, in my little hometown practice, unfortunately, that rheumatologist was mostly used to dealing with older patients with osteo. Mm-hmm. So that's their wheelhouse, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes you have to travel a little bit or or do some research to find the right fit that's going to be the right rheumatologist for you, like subspecialized. Yeah, no, that's, that's super, super helpful. And when you're talking about the name of it, you know, people hear the word arthritis, whether it's rheumatoid arthritis, whether it's psoriatic, and they just think osteo often. And because mm-hmm. of that, and also when they hear psori- psoriatic, they may just think, oh, well, like maybe you have one right. joint that hurts and you're, and you have issues with your skin, but do yeah. you ever use a different name? Like I know people with rheumatoids and I'm say I have rheumatoid disease. Yeah. So do you use, different I do names say that it? sometimes I'll yes. say psoriatic disease sometimes, or sometimes I'll just say I have um, like an inflammatory joint condition. 
Mm. because that seems to like break it down for people a little bit better. I, I definitely agree. I think that when people hear psoriatic first, they are like looking at my, my skin and they're like, yeah. what does that have to do with your joints? But really it's like even, and even calling it psoriatic arthritis, I feel like doesn't do enough justice because yeah. and same with, you know, it's, it's a disease, it's a full body systemic disease for us. Like this is, I have a running list in my phone of other specialists. I have to see as a result, endocrinologist, cardiologist, dermatologist. Yeah. yeah. It, pulmonologist it just, for some. yeah 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 it doesn't just stop at the joints and the rheumatology office it's so beyond that for so many of us and I think that's why it's such a sting and a sore spot when we get compared to osteo no yeah. no hate there it's just that it's a very different type of disease yes um I don't think that there's this I could be I could be wrong I don't have a t- you know I don't have experience in this myself but I don't think that like um, the flu like fatigue and no, some of those systemic things that we deal with as RA or JA or inflammatory arthritis patients deal with. I don't think OA touches that in the same way. Yeah, so it, it, it is almost diminishes. Yeah. It, you know, so there is some just FYI for those who might mm-hmm. have osteo who are listening, there is some, uh, well, in, there is some evidence emerging that, you know, it is se- semi-inflammatory, like more inflammatory. Uh, osteo is more inflammatory than people realize, but it's definitely not a systemic disease in the same way that the, like people put um, psoriatic, you know, uh, arthritis, rheumatoid, ankylosing spondylitis in this umbrella of inflammatory arthritis, which confusingly people sometimes just get an inflammatory arthritis diagnosis. That's actually from kind of like more of like an, a reactive arthritis. that's like short-term from like a um, post, you know, viral or something like that. But the point is that any, any inflammation doesn't like to stay in one place, whether the inflammations right. from, you know, from these kind of diseases or something totally different. And so it can travel and cause a little bit of that. Like if it's from osteo, it can cause a little bit of the fatigue and stuff. If it travels up to the brain, but it's just not the same degree. And, right. and, um, you know, I once actually talked to, I'm, t- I'll be honest. I talked to a fellow occupational therapist, someone very experienced. And I said something like, you know, um, so many people don't realize that how systemic, you know, rheumatoid arthritis is. And she's like, well, so-and-so I'm not going to say who it was, cause it might to say who this person is, but they're like, well, m- you know, my friend, so-and-so has knee arthritis and yeah, they're saying how tired they are after they play tennis because they have knee osteoarthritis. And I'm like, yes, if you have a knee arthritis, osteoarthritis, you have to move your body differently. Right. So you might have a little bit, it might be more tiring for you to do those activities, but that is not the same as your, you know, entire immune system being completely out of whack and it happening to attack your joints in addition to other healthy tissue. And it, it, it is, you know, it's, it's hard because on the one hand, I'm always like advocating for occupational therapy and physical therapy. And like so many patients never get referred. And it's so important to have I all the like team. To ask, which yes, why do you have to ask? Being offered? But at the same time, I also like have heard other people who have experiences with physical therapists or occupational therapists who don't even like understand their disease. Unfortunately, we don't in our, in my master's, we didn't spend a lot of time on infl- We spent like a million years on like stroke rehab, which is obviously really important right. or like multiple sclerosis even, which is really similar. Everything mm-hmm. about multiple sclerosis is similar to rheumatoid arthritis when it comes to fatigue and yeah. cognitive symptoms. But you know, it's like, oh yeah, just lump rheumatoid and, and psoriatic in with you know, one little paragraph. Mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry. Oh, side well, that actually, I was just going to say like that. Um, when I've been dealing with this insurance issues. I've been dealing oh, with yes. the lumping, a lot wow. of lumping together. <laughs> yeah. Wait. So what does that, what does that mean for people who don't know? So, okay. So, uh, <laughs> anybody who is listening, who doesn't follow my page already, yeah. a little <laughs> recap since January, I have been struggling to get a new biologic. It is now April 25th. <laughs> okay. I'm so sorry. So it's been craziness. Um, I've been in stuck in step therapy limbo. And if you don't know what step therapy is, it's um, basically your insurance can say, here's a lower cost drug. Um, but we would, we would like you to try, you know, sometimes they'll have multiple steps. So my insurance has three steps. They want me to try three different like types of drugs before they'll allow me to access the more expensive one my doctor is actually prescribing, which drives me bonkers. Um, so they wanted me to try, I had failed Humira, right? And I'd been on Cosentix for about two years and losing its efficacy. So 
trying to come off of it, but they don't care that I have failed Cosentix because it's not one that they will provide anyways. So even though, and Cosentix is an IL-17 or IL-23 inhibitor, one of those two. They now were like, you need to try TALS, which is a, a cousin of, of Cosentix. And um, I was already having some GI related issues to the Cosentix, which is can happen because like we were saying, infl inflammation doesn't like to stay in one place. Um, and so they've studied and found that those types of IL-17, IL-23 inhibitors can contribute to stomach upset and, and inflammation. So my doctor was really pushing for me to be able to try Simzia for a couple of reasons. Um, you know, it's a different type of inhibitor. It's great for people in childbearing years. I might want to get pregnant in the next year or so. So like having that already in my system would be excellent, but I was denied on appeal. They said, no, you have to try our steps. So I tried TALS um, about a week and a half ago, almost two weeks ago, and I had a horrible reaction. I was so sick for like 10 days. I still have reaction site from it. Um, definitely a fail, hard fail. My doctor was so like, we're sorry. just throwing this one right out. So now I'm back to square one and it's been almost five months of trying to get a biologic. And the scary part for me is that I know how detrimental this is to my health at this point in time. I know how much this is harming my body. Um, and I think the biggest issue with the insurance companies is that they lump us all together. They put us all in a box. They say, if you have inflammatory yeah. arthritis, here are the drugs you can choose from. And it's like, well, hold on. We know from research that, you know, certain, certain types of arthritis respond better to certain types of inhibitors. Shouldn't this be a consideration? Shouldn't we break this down a little further? And even beyond that, everybody is so different. Why should some on staff physician for the insurance company be the one who gets to oh, look okay. over my file and decide, nah, that's not for you. And it's not even always a physician. That's what's scary. So yeah. like, so the, first of all, thank you for sharing that. And I'm so sorry you're going through that because basically what it is, is you are suffering for no reason other than insurance companies to make more yeah. money. And I really pride myself in seeing the gray areas and being able to kind of understand another point of view. And mm -hmm. I've looked into this issue really deeply. Like I've gone to advocacy events with the arthritis foundation and the American college of rheumatology. And it, it comes down to profit for insurance money. companies. And the most generous explanation for this is that insurance companies are trying to do their part to rein in exorbitant healthcare costs in the United States. And but the ironic part to me is that you turn around and the drug company is like, oh, so sorry, they won't cover it. Here's a copay card. Oh yeah. Can you lower your prices? No. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, yeah, the, 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 I mean, I, I, I give the, um, pharmaceutical companies, a lot, a little bit of a pass on that. Cause they're at least helping patients. Oh yeah. Totally. You know, when you go to med that school, part cracks me up a yeah, bit. <laughs> no, it does crack me up too. Like it's first do no harm withholding a therapy. Uh, uh, sorry. A ther it happens with therapy too. So I'm like on my therapy, but with occupational therapy it happens with psychological counseling therapy. It happens on every level of the healthcare system. You know, we've got when I worked in pediatrics, there's kids with autism being denied because, you know, you haven't shown enough improvement. Well, I'm sorry, this child with like complex issues isn't showing Can't fit on your the, little, yeah, your little chart. That's anyway, but so for they're saying, oh, well, we need to like, what they're trying to do is the insurance companies are trying to say, we don't want anyone on, on, on these really good, expensive medications like Humira, like um, Simsy and stuff. We don't want them on the medications if they don't need to be, because that's contributing to this, you know, cost issue of like healthcare in the United States. And so you're like, right. But if a doctor who's treated your case, who's looked at your medical history, that's their, you know, they've gone to school for over 10 years to specialize in this. And then you get some random person who's never seen you mm -hmm. never had had, it's not ethical. It's extreme. No. And I actually, and it's extremely insulting, you know, to me it as is. a health provider to say that you're it's, it goes against the entire spirit of healthcare, right. And yeah. person-centered care and patient-centered care. You're and taking, I feel yeah. like insurance, they're so big about, you know, getting ahead of things. All they're doing is making me more sick. Now I have to go to a GI doctor because yeah. they forced me onto a medicine that my rheumatologist said, this is going to hurt her. Yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. The it's prices, not preventative at all. 
No. And I asked that when I was in Washington, DC with the American college of rheumatology. And I was like, help, help me understand this. I really don't understand like what is in it for the insurance companies. Right. Obviously that it's a profit, but I'm saying like, okay, with rheumatoid arthritis, when let's ex- compare someone diagnosed in like 2022 with somebody diagnosed in 1980, when there was no effective treatments, mm-hmm. those people diagnosed before the medications were guaranteed to have severe joint deformities to the point where they need joint replacement surgery. That's expensive. So the insurance companies long-term, I'm like, aren't they, don't they realize they're shooting themselves in the foot anyway? Cause they're making the patients more sick. And you know what they told me, the advocates, these people who are experts who live in Washington, DC and lobby and advocate, they said, they don't care because they only care about their quarterly profits and also the fact that insurance, so it's all very complex. Insurance is tied to employment and people no longer stay at the same employer for 30 or 40 years like they used to. So they're like, yeah, so Cheryl's working at, you know, so-and-so school district getting insurance through there. And then two years later, what I'm bearing the repercussion of the insurance company A's you know, um, decisions. I'm then working for different companies, a different insurance and they're bearing the brunt. So anyway, sorry, we're just, that makes, no, it, that totally makes sense. Thank you for bringing that up. Cause I didn't really think about it from that perspective. I was, I was so caught up in that. How could this make sense for them? But that makes, yeah. that is it. And, and actually part of my whole issue that I've been in this, you know, five month journey is because I had switched insurance providers. Oh, when you yeah. switch I insurance providers, that. it's almost like yep. you have to start over. It, the doctor had to they didn't, they at first weren't even accepting that I had failed Humira because it was so long ago. I had to go back and get the record from my old rheumatologist because not only did I fail Humira, it gave me something called medication induced lupus symptoms. I was like really mm-hmm. sick from it. I'm so, sorry. so I had to go back, get those records, send that in just so they would take it because I, just my doctor's note saying she took this 2019 didn't work. Wasn't enough. They were like, yeah, that was a while ago. Let's have her try it again. And there's like, Oh, wow. I know. I, every time I think I have heard it all, it's, it's so it it's, yeah, it's very frustrating. And I think I felt like I've been bullied, to be honest, (laughs) like I feel like people who have no say in my medical care, and they build these systems to make you feel small and powerless, because they'll give you like an automated phone call, being Mm -hmm. like your medication's been denied, have your doctor call and write one of the scripts, or they send you a letter in the mail. And it's like, it's not they're like trying to intimidate you is what it feels to me. Because I think the average patient is not, first of all, I don't have a full-time job. Luckily Mm -hmm, I work mm part-time as a nanny and part-time doing freelance. So I have time to spend hours on hold with insurance, but for most people, that's not an option. So they're just going to say, oh, well, I guess I'll just do this because this is what they're offering me. And I think that that's really messed up. I don't think that we should be pushed into medication choices that aren't the correct choices simply for what pennies at the end of the day. Cause let's be real. Aren't all biologics relatively the same price? I don't. Yeah. I, and I, I think it's, it's that it's such a, a insulting. I can't, I can't think of a better word and, and frustrating experience to feel like I'm going to receive healthcare. And the point of healthcare is to alleviate my symptoms as much as possible mm-hmm. and improve my quality of life. And it's almost like, it's like you're starving and you're sitting down to dinner. And then the chef is like, here's all the stuff I think you need. <laughs> and like, let's say you're sick, let's say being even more obvious of the connection, like you're really sick and you're like, these are the foods that are going to help you. And then insurance comes by and says, you only get that one or you yeah. don't get any of these go get something from the dollar store. And you're like, what? Like right. why? So this is why a for-profit healthcare system. I'm kind of like a weird, like I, I, I'm still figuring out my thoughts on, you know, capitalism, everything like that. But the, it's the one thing that's been come very apparent in the United States is that a for-profit health system is never, ever going to benefit the patients. And, and the, unless there's some more severe, like, um, restrictions on it. And so, you know, that we are at the mercy of in in the United States of, of the insurance company's profit motive. Yeah. I feel like our insurance company was specifically designed for a healthy person. (laughs) They want somebody who's going to pay $500 a month, just, just in case, and then like go to their, you know, regular annual visits. And then somebody like me comes along and they're like, Oh, wait, you actually need medical care we don't want to do anything about that sorry so oh me- I know <laughs> yeah um totally and I, I actually um I want to make I want to ask because I think people are gonna a lot of people who are young who get diagnosed with mm-hmm. you know um 
a form of autoimmune arthritis are like worried about how it's going to affect their future. Like, am I going to, how about dating? Am I going to be able to, you know, um, you know, get married or have a job. And so can you share a little, like, how did you meet your husband and yeah, how did, yeah. how has he been through or how has it been navigating your health issues? You know, with so we, relationships? Met, we met in New York city on a dating app Ooh, yay. <laughs> and, um, at that point I was like, not flaring at, at the time that we met, he knew I had history of arthritis and had some joint issues. Cause I was going to like nonstop PT still at that point, yeah, just like yeah. always trying to get my elbow, my knee, uh, aligned. And he is excellent. He come whenever he can, he comes with me to all of my appointments. He was there when I got diagnosed. He was, he's been there for every knee draining, which like kudos to him. Cause those are gross. <laughs> I've never had that, but I've heard oh stories God. from you and from Allie another day with RA. Yeah. Luckily, knock on wood, since I've um, started biologics and metrics together, I have not had a massive knee issue, but okay. dating and arthritis, I could totally see how that would be an intimidating topic because, you know, you kind of, your significant other at times becomes like a built-in caretaker and they have mm -hmm. to be up for that. Not everybody is. So I kind of got lucky, I guess, in a way. Like my husband's a sweetheart. And also we we formed a relationship before my arthritis got as yeah. severe as it did. So mm -hmm. he kind of like watched the whole thing snowball. Um, yeah, yeah. But I think, you know, you just need open communication. I try to tell him as often and, um, you know, whenever possible, like, thank you for all of your help. I really, really appreciate it. I always let him know if I'm having a high pain day, because whether we realize it or not, I think sometimes you can be a little snappier when you're in <laughs> pain oh, totally. or like, you know, and like your, your significant other is your person. So that's who you're going to unintentionally probably take that out on. Totally. So, you know, just having open communication and talking about it. And I always, always encourage him if he ever feels like he needs to do counseling, because I did counseling after mm -hmm. getting diagnosed. Because mm -hmm. I think it's crucial, honestly, your life changes so much. Yeah. Um, and it was even more of a, of a confusing one for me because I lived my whole life with what I thought was arthritis. And then yeah. as an adult, it became this whole new beast that I had yeah. never experienced. So um, yeah, I did counseling. I always encourage him if he ever feels like he got, gets to the point where he would like to talk to somebody, either both of us or on his own. I think that that's you have to be able to just talk about it. And it's very freeing to talk about it. I spent up until, you know, 27 years old, barely telling anybody about my arthritis. And then I made my, my page and it like completely changed my outlook, my perspective, my ability to thrive with arthritis. I really think that having community makes such a difference. Wow. Okay. So that that's fascinating because yeah, when I see you now, I know I only know you as like a right. confident advocate. Yeah. And um I it, you're like the second person this week to tell me that, you know, you actually there's somebody in my room to thrive group currently that she's um in her she's in her older years. I'm not gonna say <laughs> the age, but um, but she said she's you know, she's lived over 50 years with arthritis and just now is starting to tell people. So I will say for anyone listening, it's never too late to become Yeah, it's never too late. I always when I was younger, it was hard because I, yeah, I mean, I spent a lot of time in remission, so I don't think I really even understood the reality of it for so long. I was yeah. very little when I dealt with the painful part yes. to the point where I don't really remember it. I do remember yeah. going to hospitals and, you know, getting lollipops after shots and things like that. But yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely always a good idea to speak up and, and speak your truth and let it out because you might just help one other person every, every time it doesn't happen to me very often. I don't have some grand following on Instagram, but oh, I have you, a little bit of a community. I love your yeah. Sorry. And um, <laughs> anytime I get a message from somebody that says like, I'm so glad I found your page or, you know, your content really helps me. It is just everything. It's everything. It feels like, okay, I can, the insurance company might make me feel small and helpless, but I can do this. I can put my voice out there and I can help people on like a ground level because you know going up to Washington is freaking awesome yeah, I would love yeah. to get to that point in my advocacy journey like that is definitely on the five-year plan I want to get out there and start fighting harder but if you if you're feeling overwhelmed just talking a little bit about it can make a big difference oh my gosh and so I totally agree with that and I want to make sure I don't know why I'm like stuck on the timeline so you got diagnosed with psoriatic arthritis yes. in 2019 mm -hmm. and you started counseling after that mm -hmm. 
And then when did you start um, making your page and, and opening up about your condition like publicly? So I think I started my page in like the summer, end of summer of 2020. End of summer 2020. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and I, that's was interesting through counseling. Timing. And yeah. actually, I wrote um, a Bezzy article about like my post diagnosis journey because okay. I did the whole diagnosis journey. But then I think the after diagnosis is almost more important for a lot of people. It's like how you're going to go about the rest of your life with this. Um, right. And for me, you know, the timing of the COVID lockdown came perfectly for me. Um, I mm-hmm. needed to rest so badly. And I, at the time, was working as a Montessori preschool teacher. I don't know okay. if you know about Montessori, I but do. you have to sit on the floor with them. You're down on the ground. Down, up and down, yeah. up and down. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't going so well. Um, uh, yeah. And I was, that was when, that was in that Humera fail portion of time before Cosentix. So when the pandemic hit, I had time to sit with my thoughts and myself and reflect. And that's when I really was like, okay, this is, way bigger than I thought it was. And this is going to be about me taking care of me. Like nobody else is going to do this for me. I need to be become my best advocate. Um, Like whether that means telling my doctor, no, I don't agree with that decision. Please write that in my notes that I asked Mm -hmm. for this, you know, that's one way to do it. Whether it's doing my own research or being aware of new treatments or just simply telling people about psoriatic arthritis. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, I I really do think there's quite a few of us who really leaned into our storytelling and connecting in 2020, which again, like you said, having that time, having the time. And then also realizing that if we can't connect in person online is such a lifeline. Right. And yeah, life-changing for me, honestly, I have like formed so many wonderful friendships through Instagram. And it's interesting because, you know, social media does get such a bad rep and I get it. There are some horrible aspects to it, but for the chronically ill community, I think it is a lifeline for sure. I agree with that completely. It can be, you know, having somebody that's just like checking in on you or having somebody to vent to where you really truly don't feel like you're complaining because they get it, you know? Yes. Yes. Little thing. Yeah. Um, I, that's, I think that, um, like, there's a lot of shame people carry and even me. So I just posted on my Instagram stories about camping this weekend and I was excited to go. And like, I so wanted to be like, what I wanted to happen is after going camping, I wanted to be able to have that success story and be like, I Mm -hmm. used all my tools and it was great. And, and it, and it wasn't (laughs) great, except the sleeping wasn't great. Everything else was great about it. Um, but um, I had this shame, like I must not have tried hard enough. And a part of it is justified because I forgot my amazing battery heated socks. I don't, I'm like, I've made videos um, about my battery heated socks. I just forgot my own tool. I forgot to bring my tool. Like, so but that's I was like, like the moments where you're just like, you have to take a step back and remember like, I'm only human. And exactly. most humans who go on a camping trip don't need to pack 15 other things. When I went on a two week road trip a few weeks ago, I had an entire second suitcase of arthritis stuff. Oh, Totally. Yes. And it's like, and I'm like, so, and I feel like, um, when I share those, those moments of vulnerability and again, being like, oh my gosh, I I shame myself so often. I'm like, you literally like created this job for yourself of being an arthritis educator and, you know, program creator and support group leader and influencer. And you can't even remember your socks. Like I was literally just shaming myself. And this is like, you're freezing cold in the middle of night. You can't sleep. And you're not thinking like, logically. <laughs> totally. But then I was like, you know what? Like I'm a human, I'm a human being. It's okay. You know? And I seen other people like Brene Brown and like, who say, you know, like she's like the expert in shame, you know, and vulnerability. Yeah. And she's like, sometimes I mess. It's like seeing people who share, not just like my success story about yeah. arthritis, but also the, the little, little fails and little mistakes we make. It makes us all connect as actual human beings. Totally. You know? Yeah. I think that those, those real moments are when you get like the most out of people too. It's when you are, I posted a video of a reel a few months back of like, you know, me crying and then smiling and the oh. ups and downs. And it's, it's when people are like, yeah, same, honestly, like yeah. Yeah. when you get, it's, it's very hard to be vulnerable and put yourself out there in ways like that. But it's also very freeing. Totally. And, you know, I wanted to circle back because you mentioned that you'd be interested in going to Washington, D.C. I don't want to forget yeah. to say this. Um, so 
interestingly, as anyone knows me, who knows me will know, I'm not shy about telling my story and talking to anyone, but that the, I was, I was nervous and I don't get nervous very often. (laughs) I should get nervous more. I got, I was nervous to share my story. I don't normally get nervous about that. I get nervous about other things, but, um, to share my story at my state legislation level, um, in, in Washington state where I live. And it, and I realized that the reason is that I find the whole legislative um, process, like really intimidating and overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And again, I feel like there's so much, um, like this person's right. No, that person's right. The thing that I'll tell anyone who's kind of scared about that process is that you don't have to literally figure it out on your own. Like you can go, go through the patient um, advocacy organizations. Like in my case, I've gone through um, uh, arthritis foundation and creaky joints. Mm-hmm. There's also American college of rheumatology, American college of rheumatology paid my plane ticket and hotel to go to Washington, DC. Like that's part of their budget for patient advocacy. Same with arthritis foundation. They paid for me to be an advocate at the American college of rheumatology conference, which wasn't as much about legislative advocacy, but it was about sharing my story. And so like, I'm, you know, indebted to these organizations for, they not only gave me it wasn't just like, here's a plane ticket in a hotel room. They also trained me. So a lot of times I'll have these advocates for arthritis events where it's like, and this is in the pre-COVID days, but um, where they, you, you go a day before you're going to meet with your legislator and or representatives and you, or their, their staff, and they train you for a whole day. Like this is, these are the issues and literally talking about um, in the American College of Rheumatology one, it was a room full of nurses, doctors, and patients, like all together and physical therapists, occupational therapists, everyone all together, social workers learning. This is why step therapy is bad. This is, you know, and this is why what we, these are our talking points. So they teach you, like, this is the thing we want to say to our legislators. So, um, you don't, but you can on your own, of course, feel, feel empowered. And you you can write a letter or call your legislator anytime, but the American college of rheumatology and arthritis foundation and creaky joints, they have these kind of campaigns that they have people, you know, as a nonprofits on their staff to, to, to make it really easy for you. So I'll put some links in the comments or in the comments, in the show notes <laughs> for that. So, um, I would love to come to New York and meet you someday, like yes. in person. <laughs> be yes. amazing. I would love, I'm like dreaming someday if we can, I don't know yes. when, it, when it will feel safe enough. <laughs> well, my arthritis, yes, I'm going to do an arthritis world tour, um, uh, which I've, all I have so far is the concept. It's a pretty catchy name, right? Arthritis world it. tour. Yes. Just going to go around the world and talk to people with arthritis. Yeah. Um, so, um, you, and then, so circling back to sharing your story, can you tell the audience a little more about Bezzy, um, PSA and, and how you got involved in that? Cause it's really yeah, cool. <laughs> it's great. So yeah. So Bezzy PSA, Bezzy has, yeah, all different apps. Um, they've got one for breast cancer, rheumatoid arthritis. Mm-hmm. They just started one, I believe like two weeks ago for just psoriasis oh, for the folks nice. who don't have the arthritis portion. Um, and it's, an app that you can do. There's like uh, live chats every couple nights. There's forums. You can make a profile and like connect with other people. I do writing for their like explore page. They do a lot of perspective pieces and some how to's. So I've done um, like a Spoonie gift guide and I talked about your, your group and your program. Thank you. And um, you know, I've done my most recent one that I submitted that should be coming out soon was like three reasons why psoriatic arthritis is hard to diagnose. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and it's free for those that don't know. Yes. So it's, yes, it's it free, is free and it's from healthline.com, which there I, I am like a freelance writer for healthline as, as well. And, um, you know, they are good at medically v- validating their articles, you know, and you might wonder, well, why is it free? A lot of these pages or a lot of these free resources and the websites, you know, um, they either run at they either run ads or they do sometimes de-identify your information and, and sell it to, you know, third parties. So that is just something if that's, I know for some people that's important for me, I'm like, if it's de-identified, that's fine with me. Like right. they don't know who I am. Yes. But yeah, for other that's people, important information. But mm-hmm. I might be naive. So maybe some other people are like, they can still track you. And so, you know, but, but yeah, the, I, I have notifications, I have notifications unenabled for most of my apps, but I did turn them on for the Bezzy RA. And it's like, it's really nice to see something pop up. Like today we're talking about like one of them was podcasts about rheumatoid arthritis. And I was like, Ooh, I'm going to chime in there and be like, Hey, check out my podcast and learn about other ones. Like, you know, yeah. there's actually a lot of podcasts for that talk about arthritis. Um, and 
you know, and, or there's other ones where it's about some of the real life stuff, you know, that, that I talk about as a OT and, you know, things about like dating, like we talked, everything we talked yeah. about today. Yeah. So. Bezzy's, Bezzy's really cool. I'm very excited about what they're, um, what they're putting out there. And I think it creates just another level of community. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, the, one of my favorite questions to ask kind of before we wrap up is, um, you know, what advice do you have for newly diagnosed people with, with PSA and similar cool. conditions? Yeah. I love this one. Okay, this so, is the hundred thousand question, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. So I would say number one, um, if you decide to do your own research, be careful with what you are reading. I love creaky joints is a great resource. That because they take great information and they put it out in a way that we can understand. The Arthritis Foundation also has pretty good information. And like you were talking about the uh, American College of Rheumatology, I just find creaky joints the most like accessible as a non-medical background person. I love whenever I have a question or concern re regarding arthritis, I usually go to them first. So if you're going to research, just be mindful of what you're consuming. Google can be a scary place, especially when you're newly diagnosed and there's a lot of information out there. So yes, that would be my number one tip is tread carefully with self-research, <laughs> um, find community because like I've talked about, like, you know, just having your people who really understand it, it, it feels different talking to somebody with your condition than it does even like your mom or your best friend. It just, for some reason, there's this, a different level of comfort and connection. Um, and another thing I would say is always in the weeks and days leading up to an appointment, start taking notes of what's going on, concerns, questions, symptoms, anything, and start like, don't do it like the night before because your brain tends to self-sabotage a little bit, I think, when you're thinking too hard about something. So I like to try like, you know, leading up to really every morning, taking what's going on, how am I feeling, what can I let the doctor know? so that you can continue to be your own best advocate because you're the one that lives in your body every day. So yeah, no that, that makes perfect sense. And do you do it? Um, do you use like a symptom tracking app or do you have like a paper journal or how do you, track? I use, um, that girl with arthritis. Oh please, yes. Uh, symptom journal. And she's actually putting out new covers. I think in a couple of days, if maybe next week, she posts something yesterday. Um, her journal is great. I don't have it by me right now. It's in my yeah. bedroom, but it's got, um, you know, a little area to talk about the weather of that day, what symptoms you're feeling, your regular to-do list, um, think it can help you track what you've been eating, all of that. Um, yeah. And I used it very intensely for a few months to get like a better idea. And I tend to bring it back out when I'm flaring again, but if I'm feeling okay, I'm not yeah. as great at the journal. <laughs> no, that's, that's how, you know, in, in a way, actually, that's, to me, it's an indication that my health has gotten better when I, yeah. when I've stopped tracking as, uh, assiduously because right. yeah, I, I you're realized like, you're not as you're not triggered to. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You're like stepped out of your arthritis brain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Bit. Yeah. And that's, it's, you know, cause some, and so many of us really, um, experience, you know, brain fog or cognitive challenges with memory when it comes to, and, and yeah. even just like, you know, medical trauma, like being in a doctor's office can be intimidating and yeah. all of those lovely thoughts that you had prepared and things you want to say, just blank gone. Yeah. So yeah. it's nice to have that written down. And I will add, if you have a doctor that doesn't want to take time to listen to your questions and concerns, um, probably find a new doctor. Yeah. It's second opinions are more accessible than ever with, with telehealth is what I tell yes. people too. They're like, Oh, there isn't any other one. if there's not another one in your city, try see if there's a telehealth one that you can mm -hmm. see virtually, or maybe drive to them just for like, when you need that physical exam. Yeah. So yeah. my, my doctor is in New York city, which is like a, an hour and a half drive from me, but I do, I go in like quarterly for in-person mm -hmm. appointments and the rest is virtual and through the messenger, which is yes. pretty awesome. So awesome. Yeah. And is there anything else, you know, you have this platform now to share? We've gone on our soapboxes already. But I, know, I, feel like... <laughs> I know. I know we've like covered everything. Jeez. I really do feel like we yeah. covered everything. I would, you know, just again, if you are feeling not well, don't take no for an answer. Yeah. That's, that's the, the moral of my story basically is I knew something was wrong. I knew these doctors weren't giving me their best, but I let my, I let it get into my head and I, you have to keep pushing. Keep pushing I, until yeah. you get somebody that says, yep, something's going on here until you get what you need. Don't let anybody silence your pain because you live in your body every day. So you are your own, you're the expert on your body on what's going on.
Oh, that's, that's really, really powerful. That's, and there's so many times I know that I've said, it's a little bit of a mixture of like denial. Like I don't want some, I don't want my condition to be getting worse. Right. So if I'm starting to feel like, Oh, I might need my biologic might be wearing off or my body's creating antibodies. So maybe, you know, I like kind of ignore it. Sometimes I'm like, maybe it'll just be a little blip. It's a little mini flare and it'll get better. But you know, or I also like the barriers for me are like either just wanting like denial and wanting things to be better than they are. And then wanting to be a good patient, like wanting sure. to be, like, if, yeah. ha, I don't, have you read Joan Didion's like the year of magical thinking? I haven't. Um, it's really good. It's about the year after her husband passed away. And she talked about how like um, she heard as her husband was like dying. This is my memory of it. Um, she, the, the phrase that she heard, like a social worker uses like when talking, she heard overheard a social worker talking to another one about her um, husband and their situation. And you know, that he's dying and, and, and he was like handing off the care to the next social worker. He's like, don't worry. She's a cool patient. Like she's cool. You know? And it was like, weird. you think, okay, that's like random to say, but like, she latched onto that. Like, I want to yeah. be a cool patient. I want to be, and that's totally me. I want to be like, the good patient. I yeah. want to be the success story. And you feel like you failed, right? Right. When you're right. Yeah. When you have to come to your doctor. I mean, for me, it was like, in. I saw my doctor in the end of August, early September. And I was, she was like this, like almost afraid to say the MR medical remission, you know, like yeah. I was getting there. And then less than three months later, I had to call in and be like, Hey, oh. Cosentix isn't working so much anymore. It's so so hard. it's hard. Cause yeah, you feel like you've like, I've achieved this, like moment and then not so much. Yeah. And, and then when you don't have that validation of a diagnosis, it's even harder, right? Because then you're like, well, everyone's telling me, but yeah, that's something I really wish I had um, done earlier is really trusted myself and my body because uh, I, you know, it, it, we did go to quite a few different people to get second opinions and everything, but they still kept being like, you're just anxious. You're just a hypochondriac. Mm -hmm. And then it just kind of like, you do, um, you start to internalize it. It's yeah. really hard not to. Yeah. But I'm unfortunate. Like, nobody wants to be sick, especially in the pandemic, no. right? Like nobody wants no, to, nobody go. wants to be put on. I'm on three immunosuppressants right now. Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> nobody wants this well, life. I remember once being like, it's a really, it's a really, um, extremely frustrating and sad experience to be like, I'm actually under reporting my pain and being treated as if I'm over reporting. Like, mm-hmm. and my doctor knows now she's like, when Cheryl says, oh, it's, you know, it, it's not that it's kind of bad, but it's not that bad. She knows that means right. it's like terrible, you know, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. I'm about to die, yeah. you know? So. And I think that's another good, like important point too, is like developing a relationship with a doctor is so key for chronic illness of any kind, because yes. really we need continuous of care, like continuous care for a very long time. Yes. So if you can get somebody that's going to be like your partner and they're going to yeah. be collaborative with you and not just say, this is what you need to do more like how about what do you think about this option? Um, totally. Because you should be respected as the patient. You know, like this is your life and your body. You shouldn't just be going to this expert and them telling you this, that, and that, and goodbye. It should totally. be a partnership because it's so long term. It really is. I know I'm really lucky. I got, I encountered my amazing rheumatologist right after she was right done with residency. So she was mm-hmm. new, but she did have all the, the latest research and she was on top of it. And so I'm like, as long as you don't move away from Seattle yeah. or, you know, this state, I'm following you, you know, wherever. Um, yeah. So yeah, having that relationship, it's so, it's so key. Like the first thing she asked me in the appointments, like, show me a picture of your son or show me a picture of your Aww. dog. And then we just did like a house remodel. She's like, show me your house. Like she actually cares who yeah. I am as a person, you know, yeah. and that's, Huge. And some people may not, it's about getting what you want out of it. Some people are like, actually, right. I don't, I'm overwhelmed right now. Just tell me what to do. You know, that's right. kind of how right. I was that postpartum, very good point. but, but anyway, but yeah, thank you so much. This has been, I mean, I feel like I could talk to you for five hours. No, I will do live for sure. Yeah, we'll do a live. And then can you just tell people listening where they can find you? I'll put the links in the um, show notes too. So my Instagram and my TikTok are both arthritis underscore Meggie. I need Mm -hmm. to get better about posting to TikTok. Um, I'm an elder millennial. I'm like on the border of, I was born 1981. So I'm like, I'm like the youngest Gen X or the oldest millennial. Oh, is, I'm like a true millennial. You're a true millennial. Yeah. 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 Okay. So um, I have a Facebook. I have a Facebook page for Arthritis Maggie as well. Um, and you can find me on the BS, uh, PSA Bezzy app. Yeah. Right. Awesome. Is is it? Uh, are you listed as you know your full name? My like, name is listed as Megan Queeran. 
Okay, perfect. Mm -hmm. Is that Irish? It is. Okay, cool. My last uh, name, my last name is actually not Irish. My first name is is M E A G H A N. Extremely yes. Irish. My no, dad is. Yeah. It's technically yeah. uh, his last name is Murphy, but he was adopted. Oh, so, okay. Oh, Megan wow. Murphy. Was Megan very Murphy. Irish. I love that. M M M squared. Awesome. Yes. Well, thank you so thank so you much. This has me. been really. I know it's it takes emotional labor to tell your story and share. You know these the challenges you've had and how you have persevered. So I I know there's people listening who are going to feel more empowered after listening to this. So thank you. Thank you, Cheryl. So good to talk. (laughs) Yay. Bye bye for now. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Room to Thrive, a membership and support community where you'll learn how to develop your own Thrive toolbox so you can live a full life despite your rheumatic disease or chronic illness. Learn more in the show notes or by going to www.myarthritislife.net. You can also connect with me on my social media accounts on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and even TikTok. Check out the links in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Arthritis Life Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Room to Thrive, an educational program I created from scratch to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported, and connected in a matter of weeks. You can go through the pre-recorded course on your own, or you can take the course along with a support group. Learn more at the link in my show notes, or you can always go to www.myarthritislife.net. And if you like this podcast, I would be so honored if you took the time to rate and review it. I also encourage you to share it with anyone you know who might benefit from it. I also wanted to remind you that you can find full transcripts, videos, and detailed show notes with hyperlinks for each episode on my website, www.myarthritislife.net. If you have any ideas for future episodes, or if you want to share your story or wisdom on the podcast, just shoot me an email at info at myarthritislife.net. I can't wait to hear from you.